The views expressed on The Pickleball Show are not necessarily those of the USAPA. The Pickleball Show is the official podcast of the USAPA dedicated to growing the sport of pickleball around the country. Show your support and become a USAPA member today. Visit USAPA.org. From Bainbridge Island to the villages. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. Buckeye to Abbotsford. Time out, baby, yeah! St. George to Rochester and all points in between. If you've heard of pickleball or you already play it, then you know. This is the Pickleball Show. This is Deb Harrison of PicklePongDeb.com. And here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Live from the PBX Club Studios in Asheville, North Carolina. It's the Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris Allen, continuing our conversation today with Mark Rennison of Third Shot Sports. Mark, one of the hottest pickleball coaches in the world right now. He's traveling. He's all over the place. He's seeing students everywhere, and uh, he's compiled a list of myths that in his opinion, need to be busted. And we're going to continue on with another myth. Mark, what do you got here? Chris, there's so many to go with. It's hard to know. I think with this one, we're going to go with the myth of no man's land. And uh, the myth is that you shouldn't be at no man's land. You should never. I mean, that's why they call it no man's land. You that's never, right. you that's never right. want to be in no man's land. And that's maybe, right. and this might be another opportunity for a bonus myth. Let's go ahead and define what is no man's land. Because uh, I had uh, Robert and Jody Elliott sort of enlighten me as to this. To them, no man's land is actually one to two steps in from the baseline that that's the true no man's land because there you know they can just zing it at your feet all day long and uh, you should either be behind the baseline or you can split the difference and be in that center section between the baseline and the non-volley zone line that that's okay but what i've been trying to do is think of it kind of like in baseball terms where behind the baseline is first base and you're safe as long as you're there and then that middle section splitting the box that second base and you're okay if you're there and then up at the non-volley zone line that's third base and you're safe if you're up there and uh, i've been telling myself you know those are the three spots where you're safe and then anytime you're in between and transition from those three spots you know you need to pick one and get there as soon as possible and it's been working out pretty well for me i see what you mean so this is related to uh when we talked before about the myth of always wanting to be up at the net, right? right? So let's say being up at the kitchen, right? What do you call it? Third base. Well, it's great to be there, except what if your opponents are about to smash the ball? Now, all of a sudden, if you, let's say your partner plays a weak lob, right? You've told them a million times not to lob the ball, but he plays a weak lob and your opponents are right there. They're 14, 15 feet away from you. They're about to smash the ball. Being at the kitchen is a dumb place to be standing, right? You're only 14 or 15 feet away. You're going to have very little time to react when they play that lob. So in that situation, of course, of course, we would way rather be back behind the baseline, right? You're now 29 or 30 feet away from your opponent. Mm-hmm. You're going to have twice as much time to get ready and to react to their smash. Of course, we'd like to be back there. But the reality is you can't, right? If all four of you are up there and your partner plays that weak little dink lob, you don't have enough time to retreat all the way back to the baseline. But that doesn't mean your only other option is to stay up there and hold your ground at the kitchen. You could back up. You could back up as far as you're able to before your opponents hit their shot. And so that might mean that you have enough time for two or three steps only. 
if you're you and you're lucky because you've got long legs, that two or three steps mm-hmm. might get you 10 or 11 feet back, right? Which is great. And now you've got this additional space to get ready to defend from. Um, someone else who whose legs aren't as long or they don't move as quickly, yeah, they might only get two or three steps back, you know, and maybe that's six feet for them and they're now in quote unquote no man's land. Mm-hmm. That is a better option than the alternative, which is just hanging out right up at the kitchen line because you've been told you should always try to be at the net. Right. So so to me, the myth here, and again, it's it's this idea of that pickleball, every single point is sort of evolving and it's dynamic and you need to make decisions and you need to change. Like It's what we call an open-skilled sport, right? Because there's so many different moving pieces at the same time. And so for me, when your opponents are likely to hit a hard, powerful shot, you want to be as far away from them as possible so that you have as much time as possible to react. And while ideally you'd like to get behind the baseline, if you only make it as far back as quote-unquote no man's land, that's better than nothing. So it worries me when people come in uh, to our clinics or whatever, and they feel like, well, no, I can never go there. I can never, I should never be playing the point from here. And so what they do is they end up just staying up at the line, which strategically is disadvantageous because they're going to have a tough time reacting. And from a safety perspective, it's actually pretty dangerous. They're so close together. They're really susceptible to being hit by a powerful shot. Right. And my rule of thumb normally is I go back to that midsection because I know I don't have enough time to get all the way back behind the baseline because, yeah, I would love to be there if I could, but I'm not going to make it there. And I sure don't want to be backpedaling when they're hitting the ball at me. Right. Um, even though you know, I, sometimes I am. Uh, but uh, so I, I just I, I've I've kind of resolved myself to I'm going to take a couple of steps back, be in the midsection, and then I'll just deal with it because I've bought myself an extra half second or so in reaction time backing up. So I'm just going to take that and uh, and work with that. So I I think that's exactly right. Right. You use what you've got. And even if even if it's not ideal, it's better than the alternative. And so you you use what you've got and try to do the best with it. And then, um, you know, we don't no one advocates sort of hanging out in that spot, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, like Jody and Robert were talking about, you know, hitting your serve and then walking in a couple steps, right? Mm-hmm. No, one, no one wants to be there on a regular basis, but it's important to sort of identify that you, you can go there as sort of a defensive maneuver. That's a good way to put it. All right, cool. Let's consider this myth busted. <laughs> there we go. I'm crumbling it up into little bits, and then there, it's in the trash. All right, now what's the next myth that we are going to just send to the moon here and be done with forever? We'll never have to deal with again. Never again. Well, here it is. So very often during our clinics, we take a a little break and we say, hey, who's got a question here? And I often start it off by asking my students questions. Maybe your listeners can can, uh, imagine I'm asking this of them, and they've got to answer quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, When can you go into the kitchen? And then first thing that comes into the mind is after the ball has bounced. Oh, okay. So, so we regularly get people who put up their hand and they're eager and they think, I got this one. I got this one. I can go into the kitchen after the ball has bounced. And while that's not totally incorrect, it's not actually true either, right? You can go into the kitchen anytime you want. You can go in there before the ball bounced. You can go in there after the ball bounced. You can go in while the ball is bouncing. You can start in there while your partner or your opponents are hitting serves. Um, you could even stand there getting ready to return a serve. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't recommend it, but you could. You can go into the kitchen whenever you want. It's helpful here to remember what you know. We call, everyone calls it the kitchen, but it's actually called the non-volley zone. 
And that's really important to remember because that kind of tells you about that space, right? It's not about when you can't go in. It, it just limits what you can do in there. And you can't volley, right? You can't hit the ball without a bounce. Mm-hmm. So why does this matter? Well, let's imagine you're up at the line and uh, you're in, in a dinking rally with your opponent. And if your opponent hits a dink and, you know, it's landing in the kitchen, but it's fairly deep, you're able to sort of hold your ground at the line and play it back. There's no big deal. But we've all played those people who um, are really good sometimes at just barely dropping the ball over the net, uh, whether it's straight down the line or very often it's on a cross court. It's so short that, in fact, you can't hit that ball while staying behind the line. You have to go into the kitchen to hit it. Well, if you're one of the people that believes that you can't go into the kitchen until the ball has bounced, you've actually put yourself at a major disadvantage. Because you're waiting. Because you're waiting for that ball to bounce. Whereas your opponent who knows, hey, I can go in anytime I want, as soon as they see that the ball has been hit so short, even before it lands, they're going to start moving. And they're going to be able to get there and they're going to be more on balance to hit the ball and they're more likely to play the kind of shot that they want. Mm-hmm. Whereas those of us who sort of wait, 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 wait until that ball bounces end up having to rush considerably more to hit the shot. It's a, a self-limiting belief and, and you're cutting your reaction time almost in half because you're waiting for that ball to bounce and now you've got to jump in there and you can't do a whole lot with it. It's already coming up and down and it's not going to be very high. And uh, so, yeah, so you've really limited the amount of time and uh, probably the shots that you can choose from in terms of getting that ball back over the net. Now you're just trying just to keep it in play and just to get it over. And uh, whereas if you if you had stepped in ahead of time, then you're set up, you're ready, you've got options and uh, you can do a lot more with it. That's right. And I mean, there's a lot of people who you can see they are fearful of crossing that line right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it is hitting the ball after after it's landed, right? There's a fear that a lot of people have. So sometimes you have to sort of work with people to sort of get over that fear, make sure they understand the rule, right? Mm -hmm. And then actually practice going into the kitchen. Yeah, sometimes even with both feet, right? If it's a particularly short ball. As a a related myth here, uh, I had someone write to me once and say, Mark, the guy I was playing with called me for an infraction uh, because I didn't get out of the kitchen soon enough. And I wrote back, I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, oh, well, you have to get out of the kitchen within two seconds after hitting the ball. And I thought, two seconds? Like, who's got the stopwatch, right? right. How is this? Right, so... It's like so, in basketball when they call you on a three-second violation because you're in the lane and all that stuff. Yeah, but the difference is in basketball, there's such a thing as a three-second yeah, violation, there actually right? is, whereas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not in Whereas there's no rule about when you have to exit the kitchen. <laughs> and, right, and, and people should know, what, you know, when you watch the best players exiting the kitchen every time right after they hit the ball... Mm-hmm. And coaches are talking about the importance of getting out of the kitchen. It's not because it's a rule. It's because it's strategically important, right? Uh-huh. You, you don't want to be standing in the kitchen uh, when your opponents hit a ball fast at you and you're forced to volley because then you lose. So it's strategically important to play that shot from inside the kitchen and then quickly hop out so that you're able to play whatever ball comes at you next. You're reset, ready for that next shot, and you can take it out of the air if you need to. You can volley it if you need to. Yeah, go ahead and get out of there. I've had a thing that uh, happened. It's been happening to me. It seems like the past few weeks, for some reason, I've been on this uh, subconscious thing where I do not want to go in the kitchen at all. And like if somebody hits a short ball, um, I, I just keep catching myself, you know, stopping uh, even though the ball is bounced in the kitchen, 
I'll, I'll run up to get it, but I'll, I'll work hard to make sure that I stop and I don't cross into the kitchen. And then my partner will say, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. It bounced. You're fine. You know, you took it on the bounce anyway, but it's like I, I just want to stop myself. Like I've got myself so trained to, you know, stay out of the kitchen that uh, even when I'm running up to grab a ball, I still try to stop and not step in. So, yeah, for whatever yeah, like reason. What you're, yeah, what you're describing is exactly what um, what I often see, you know, a lot of intermediate players do is that is this fear they've been so scared of (laughs) right from early on that they actually um yeah they'll put on the brakes and they'll um yeah like Uh uh-huh and right when he says it's like hey you don't you know don't worry about it it bounced and like oh yeah it did bounce i forgot about that he's like i can go in there i can can party in there if i want do whatever i want in there because it bounced so i gotta yeah i just gotta get that out of my head for some reason there's some little thing like don't do it don't go in Go in when it makes sense to go in and stay out when it makes sense to stay out. Good stuff. All right, let's consider that myth busted. It's busted totally there. All right. Uh, Chris, I got a question for you. Yeah. It's it's maybe myth related and I don't know, maybe some of your listeners will have an opinion on it. I started a poll recently um, through my newsletter asking about whether you should apologize after hitting a lucky shot. So imagine you and I are playing... And you know what? I hit this ball and I try to put it way off to the left, but it goes off the edge of my racket or my hand and instead dribbles over the net, right? Touches the net, falls into the kitchen for a winner. Should I apologize when that happens? I, I normally do just because uh, it seems like the best players do. And it just seems like a courtesy um, where it's like, eh, you know, I know that wasn't very competitive and I mean, it's just an accident. It wasn't like I tried to do it on purpose or anything. So I just go, eh, sorry, sorry about that or hmm. something. You know, I do that, but you know, it happens cause it happens to everybody. But um, I just do it as a courtesy just because it seems like that uh, when I started started playing, the very best players would do that amongst themselves. So I thought, well, if that's the etiquette, then I will uh, I will adopt it. Yeah, well, we've had some really interesting uh, results to the poll so far. We're going to keep it open for a little while longer, but maybe I can give you a link and we can... You yeah. can get some more fe- some more feedback from listeners. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll link to it. And uh, and if, if you're not already a subscriber to Mark's newsletter, you definitely need to be. And you can do that by going to thirdshotsports.com. Great stuff in there always. You answer questions. You have uh, really informative and entertaining videos that you do. And uh, lots of good stuff. So always enjoy not only talking with you, but seeing what you're up to online. And it uh, has made me a better player. So I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. It's uh, it's fun to make. It's hard work, but it's fun to make them. Yeah, well, you do a great job, and I know. And everybody says, "Oh, yeah, he sneaks pictures of his daughter in there and stuff, and his dog and stuff like that." So well, everybody, everyone gets a cameo, yeah. <laughs> and it's you know, it's good for for tax write offs. I don't know if it is in, in Canada, <laughs> but you can you know do that stuff. You can write off here. your child. <laughs> She's talent. I'm writing her off. That's right. <laughs> hey, and we're, we are so looking forward to seeing you down in Indianapolis for Pickleball Summit coming up October 14th, 15th, 16th. That's going to be a great time. Yeah, I can't wait. Some great people, some great coaches, some great students. It'll be fun. And that's coming up quick. Mark and I have our arrangements made. The question is, do you have yours? We want to see you there. Indianapolis, October 14th, 15th, 16th. 
Go to PickleballSummit.com right now and lock in your place on the court with Mark Renison from Third Shot Sports, with Robert and Jody Elliott, TOC champions. We've got national champion Gigi LeMaster, national champion Matthew Blom, national champion Brian Staub. They're all going to be there telling you their tips, their tricks, their secrets, sharing the court with you and showing you exactly what you need to take your game to the next level. No matter where you are, we've got your skill level represented. 3.0, 3.5, 4.0 or above, you're going to learn precisely what you need to be a better player. PickleballSummit.com, get your tickets now. I'm Chris Allen, this is The Pickleball Show, and until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.